someone the NSA once listed as the most dangerous hacker in America, sure don't look like much. He travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyber terrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Good morning and welcome to Cybersecurity Radio Today with John Bambanek coming to you from AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast as well as AM1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. Uh, we've got uh, some great content here for you today. We're going to talk about some Chinese hacking in advance of the uh, trade summit that happened uh, just this past few days here in Florida. Uh, talk about some uh, the top cybersecurity stories that are uh, that you need to be aware of to protect your mobile devices, your family. Take some of your questions with our social media feature, uh, and a little bit about North Korea uh, and cyber war uh, that will wrap up with a great guest in Bill Gertz. As always, you can find us on the web at cybersecuritytodayradio.com, facebook.com slash cybersecradio, facebook.com slash cybersecradio, and on Twitter at, at cybersecradio, and my personal Twitter account at, at Bambanek, and email at johnbambanekradio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. So we're going to go ahead and start talking about what's trending, what you need to know in cybersecurity and some of the news that's going on this week. Uh, as an interesting note, uh, this past week there was a security analyst summit uh, that took place in St. Martin uh, in the Caribbean. So there's been a lot of news about uh, vulnerabilities and hacking and things that criminals are doing to try to get to your money. So one of the stories came out of that conference about how hackers would uh, walk up to ATMs seemingly uh, and the ATMs would dispense money. They would grab the cash and walk away. They apparently stole upwards of $800,000 uh, from ATMs. Now, that wouldn't necessarily affect you. and it, you know, it wouldn't be your transaction, but we'll talk a little bit about things you need to be aware of when you use ATMs. In this case, uh, they used uh, remote control over the ATM so that they remotely controlled the ATM over the Internet and uh, signal it, hey, dispense a bunch of money because I've got my guy who just walked up to the ATM machine. Uh, and they accomplished this by drilling small holes in the front of the ATM masquerading as construction workers to install, in essence, a backdoor that allowed hackers to do that. This is a very common type of crime, particularly in Eastern Europe and uh, in the Russian Federation, but we do see some of it here. Uh, I'm on an email list that every time somebody does a, an attack on an ATM uh, in the United States, uh, they send me an email about some of that stuff, and every, every week or so, there's a new thing uh, that people are doing to ATMs. Right? That doesn't necessarily affect you, but things you need to keep in mind for the ATMs that you use to get out cash. You know, the card reader, uh, where you slip in your card before you enter the pin, you know, always kind of pull on that a little bit. What criminals will do is they have little overlays precisely engineered for the specific ATM they want to use. They put those overlays on there and something on the keypad so that when you slide in your card, it passes all the information to the ATM. You still get your money, but it creates a digital copy of that information so that attackers can then clone your card. They know what your PIN is, and then they can start going up to ATMs also and withdrawing money out of your bank accounts. So always kind of give uh, the bezel where you put in your card. Give that a little tug to make sure that it's, it's on uh, secure. Uh, if it comes out loose, then 
you know, at the very least walk away from the ATM, uh, hopefully find uh, the bank or whoever owns the ATM and say that there's a problem and let them take it from there. That's a good way that you can help us out uh, to track these individuals because unlike most cybercrime, there's a physical nexus to this one. Uh, and if we know, hey, this machine was compromised physically, we can go to cameras and find them. Uh, and the same thing for gas machines, always kind of, you know, not hard, just see if uh, things are on there uh, securely, uh, that there's not any overlays on there. Second item of news is that uh, Apple released uh, a highly important security update for your iPhones. Many of you probably have iPhones yourself. The release is for iOS 10.3.1 that included a, a very interesting vulnerability, uh, kind of highly technically complex. But there was a vulnerability in the Wi-Fi chip of the phone itself that would allow somebody, if they were close enough to you, to execute commands on your iPhone. Right? So uh, if... I happen to have uh, be in a coffee shop with you. I could turn on an access point. Uh, you might connect to it thinking it's Starbucks, whatever, and then I could start running commands on your phone ultimately to see what websites you're going to, uh, maybe get into Apple Pay, get your email, so on and so forth. The most important takeaway of this is that vulnerabilities are detected all of the time, right? There's a lot of really smart people looking at it. I've done a little bit of this, but there's a lot of people much better than me who are always looking for ways to defeat technology that we rely on every day. Your iPhones, your Androids, your laptops, your smart TVs, uh, the computers in your cars. You need to be mindful that when updates are released, sometimes it's just for new features, but a lot of times there are security updates. We discover these issues. We have the vendors push out updates. That is how you can protect yourself. So I'm sure many of you are familiar. If you've got a Windows laptop, you know, the second Tuesday of the month, you know, at 3 a.m., your laptop wants to reboot for updates. But a lot of devices don't have that feature, right? iPhone will give you a pop-up saying, hey, there's an update plug in your phone, uh, and you can update that in your iPad as well. Uh, but smart TVs don't have that kind of feature, hey, there's an update. So every now and then, like I said, if you see news that, hey, there's a security update for an iPhone or for your smart TV or uh, you get a recall notice for your car that says apply these updates, it's very important that you do that. Uh, we can't necessarily do that for you of just figuring out how to go update and apply these patches to your machine to protect yourself. Last item, Google announced this week that they discovered some dangerous spyware uh, for Android, for Android phones uh, that went undetected for three years. So a very long time that it's out there. When people talk about malware or computer viruses for your phones, it almost always comes down to applications, right? The holy grail for attackers and criminals is to get these applications into the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. You know, you download it, you install it, and then attackers have a lot of functionality on your phone. Uh, Apple has some advantages in that they really restrict what applications can do. Android is a more open platform, which allows you to do, you know, some neater things on one hand. And on the other hand, it allows criminals to do neater things like listen to your microphone or access your GPS information and so on and so forth, right? So always be careful that of what applications you're storing. You know, take a look at the reviews, yes, but a little bit about the publishers. See if it's a name you recognize if somebody wants to... Uh, if you have a kid who wants to install Mario Run on your phone, making sure that you're, you're getting it from Nintendo and not some other place. It's very easy to put things uh, on uh, the Google Play Store 
and they do have some ability to bring things back. Uh, but by and large, you need to be mindful of what you're installing on your phone, and, and for Android especially. Every time you install an application, it says, hey, these are the permissions that I want to, to do. Take a look at what those permissions are. If there's something that wants to listen to your microphone or access your call log or your text messages, and it's really a game, then I would be worried about installing that. And the last bit of advice is never install applications outside of the Google Play Store or the App Store. Uh, don't disable those security features that allow you to do it. Criminals are constantly trying to trick people into installing that kind of stuff on their phone and say, hey, uh, install uh, this application and we'll give you coupons for the grocery store or uh, for adult software or pick whatever particular lure you want. Always avoid doing that because the only real protections you have with the apps are that they come from the app store. There is some degree of scrutiny and things can be deleted if there's abuse. You don't have that if you install those applications directly. So always make sure you're getting things to the App Store or the Play Store. Uh, look at the reviews and the history. Make sure that it looks like it's from a reputed uh, individual and entity that's giving you that content. So to segue, our next segment, we're going to talk about Chinese hacking. We've talked a lot about Russia in the past. Uh, we have a, a, an emerging story here from research by Fidelis Cybersecurity that the Chinese government engaged in espionage in advance of the meeting that Donald Trump, President Donald Trump and President Xi Jinping had here in Mar-a-Lago on Thursday and Friday trying to get a leg up on the negotiations. We're going to talk about that next, so stay tuned. This is Cybersecurity Radio Today with John Bambanek. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. You're back with Bambanek on Cybersecurity. Welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Bambanek. Uh, just went over some of the trending stories in uh, cybersecurity news, some issues you need to be aware of with your cell phones and with ATMs. Going to segue a little bit. And now, focus on government cybersecurity. There's a new virus in the database. What's happening? It's replicating, eating up memory. Uh, what do I do? Type cookie, you idiot. As many of you know, uh, the past couple of days, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, was meeting with President Trump in Mar-a-Lago here uh, as part of a trade summit to negotiate uh, economic policy between our two nations. Prior to that meeting, uh, a security research company uh, that I'm a part of, Fidelis Cybersecurity, had discovered that likely Chinese state-sponsored actors, meaning basically intelligence services, uh, tried to engage in espionage against the National Foreign Trade Council and a lot of our big companies uh, that are, help shape economic policy here in the United States. So engaging in an act of espionage against us uh, to get a leg up in negotiations. So we're joined here with Mike Bertowski from Fidelis Cybersecurity, Senior Vice President of Cybersecurity Services, talking about this news. Thank you for joining us, Mike. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure to be here. Thanks, John. So uh, tell us, uh, well, in this case, what we found, but uh, what Fidelis found. <laughs> um, so we found uh, that, that this malicious actor uh, that we believe to be a Chinese actor uh, was able to inject code into 
the National Federal or the National Foreign Trade Commission's website. And what that did is people who visited it, uh, they would get redirected over to this uh, framework of, of malware, and it would cause the ability to to control um, or to look into uh, other people's activities and what they're they're trying to to see. So the people that would normally just visit this site, it turned into a watering hole where they were they were being a victim of an attack that they didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. So what do you think's behind it? What do you think they were trying to accomplish here? Um, you know, we've actually seen this kind of activity in several cases over, over the past couple of years where nonprofit organizations and think tank types of organizations are targeted by uh, foreign government actors or foreign mm-hmm. nation states, and they're essentially looking to to gain information. And in this case, when you look at who the the members uh, are of the NFTC, it, it paints a really impressive picture of all the big companies. There are a lot of the big companies in the United States, so it could be anything from just trying to see their communications, uh, who they're interacting with. To potentially um, trade secrets, uh, intellectual property, or mergers acquisitions, uh, who they're trying to influence uh, from a political standpoint, because the NFTC is a is a lobbying group, mm-hmm. so they they have lots of political reach um, and influences, and, and I really think that's kind of why they went after this, because it, it it was just it was right for the picking of, of the exact type of targets that they would 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 want to leverage. No, no, I think that's definitely true. Uh, you know, this week, uh, the Chinese president and uh, President Trump are meeting uh, here in Florida. Uh, you know, do you think this topic will come up? Was it, you know, in advance of that to try to get a leg up for the Chinese to know what pressure points to apply on uh, President Trump? How do you think that will play out in the trade summit that's uh, wrapping up here? Yeah, I definitely think it'll be a, a point of discussion. Um you know, over the past year or so, people have been saying that that Chinese APTs have kind of gone silent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case. There, there's lots of stuff that can go on in the background that people may not notice. Um, so I definitely think this was exactly as you said, a potential for uh, the Chinese government to use as uh, human intelligence or uh, leverage to conduct negotiations or to at least understand where the Trump administration kind of stands on topics um, to a deeper level. It's one thing to get your information from from media sources and and what's publicized, but understanding some of those back off you know back office conversations or who's trying to to reach out to them sure, really sure. gives them a, a great stance to to build those discussions off of. No, no, I think that's certainly true. Uh, you made reference to it, so let's kind of make it explicit. President Obama, uh, then President Obama, and uh, the Chinese President Xi Jinping in 2015 kind of signed a, a landmark agreement to uh, that each country would no longer steal each other's intellectual property. Uh, typically, ch- Chinese espionage was associated with stealing trade secrets uh, of American and Western companies and then giving it to their own institutions for commercial gain. Um, do you think that's going on here? Do you think the the attacks that we saw uh, this week or actually last month uh, will run them afoul of that agreement, or, or are we seeing more traditional espionage? Um, I, I think it's probably a little bit on the more traditional espionage aspect of it, because I, I don't know 
if it's going to turn into an intellectual property theft, I think this is kind of a jumping off point where they could expand out into that. Um, and, and we haven't seen that yet. So it's a little bit of a wait and see uh, type situation for that. But uh, it puts them precariously close to crossing that line of breaking that agreement. That's for sure. Or at least in, you know, in my opinion, it does. No, no, fair enough. It certainly gives them the opportunity for that. It's just a question of what they do now. So, uh, yeah. you know, the, this kind of the tools that they use, this kind of attack is kind of the first stage is doing more, more or less reconnaissance. Right. You know, figuring out who the important people are talking to, uh, what institutions they're part of, you know, are they going to attend the board meeting of the National Foreign Trade Council? Right. And, and then use that information from there to, to try to uh, to try to exploit those individuals. So I, we're kind of talking nation state stuff. Let's kind of bring it back down a little bit. You know, what do you think uh, that uh, businesses and individuals need to take away from this? Uh, you know, things that they should be thinking about when protecting their interests from uh, hacking. Well, obviously, I, th I think we learned it from the, the DNC, but I, I think in this situation as well is people have to be really cognizant of the fact that communications that are done electronically are vulnerable to being obtained by other people, whether, you know, a, a, a leak or um, a, a hack, somebody breaking in, you know, so whether it was an internal actor or an external actor getting a hold of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think they need to be really conscious of, about how they conduct communications. Um, there definitely needs to be a little more diligence, I think, on, on being able to detect when actions like this this happen, um, you know, NFTC, our understanding is reacted very promptly to to th this issue and, and dealt with it. Um, but the 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 only other problem we have is well, we don't know exactly when that mal or that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, watering hole was set up. So you know, I think it's kind of the ever go ongoing problem in in our field, John, where. You know, the, the length of duration that something exists opens us up to, to more damage. So, so being able to detect that, remediate it as fast as possible and as completely as possible is what companies need to focus on. Thank you, Mike Bertowski, for joining us from Fidelis Cybersecurity. You can learn more at FidelisSecurity.com and see uh, the report on Chinese hacking at ThreatGeek.com. Thank you for joining us today, Mike. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Stay tuned for more great content. This is Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Bamber. Scan your computer, but don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Bambadek will be right back. You're back with Bambanek on cybersecurity. Welcome back to Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Bambanek. Uh, before the break, we were talking to Mike Bertowski of Fidelis Cybersecurity about Chinese espionage in advance of the trade summit that happened uh, last Thursday and Friday. So uh, a couple of key points I wanted to emphasize of, of things that I think people should know. By and large, 
many of you are people listening to this program are not really targets of intelligence agencies, right? You know, they they want very specific things, looking for a leg up um, in uh, trade summits, which just happened, or maybe you want defense plans, military secrets, so on and so forth. Uh, this is kind of the routine way nations behave with each other. Uh, while the story we talked was Chinese spying on the U.S., I'm quite sure our U.S. intelligence community was doing the same to China. Um, that said, uh, you know, something worth emphasizing is the reason that this happens, right? The National Foreign Trade Council is not a government entity, but in the U.S. and many countries of the world, all of our policies, laws, uh, and legislation is crafted by think tanks and all of these nonprofit entities and organizations that are around government but aren't government. They have a lot of valuable intelligence information that can be useful to a foreign intelligence service. We saw that last year uh, with the election-related hacking. You know, Russia uh, attacked the DNC. They tried to hack into the RNC because as a uh, foreign power, they wanted to know how our elections were going to go. They wanted to try to influence them if they could, and that was an easy way to do it. So uh, something that you need to keep in mind, right, is how businesses protect themselves and the risks they face is that often these third-party organizations may pose a risk to them as well. Uh, briefly, the target breach that 30 million credit cards are stolen happened because a heating and cooling contractor was breached and they used that access to get into target. So being mindful of who we interact with and their security and how it all really matters and is interconnected, I think, is, is a strong point of the story. Got a question on cybersecurity? Ask Bambanek. Really? You sure about that? To segue now, uh, to our feature where we answer your questions about cybersecurity uh, and things that you need to know to protect your business, uh, your personal finances, and your family. To uh, ask questions, you can find us at our website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com, facebook.com slash cybersecradio, on Twitter at cybersecradio, or my personal handle at Bambanek, B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, or via email at John Bambanek Radio, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. So Mark asked, I'm a small business owner. My company's expanding, and good for you, Mark. You're concerned that the company will be targeted for a cyber attack. What can you do to prevent that? What are the biggest cybersecurity threats? I would say any business, expanding or not, is being attacked all the time. Uh, I have a variety of email addresses for whatever purpose I'm using at a given time. So I get, uh, for my consulting business, that email, I get very specific uh, crafted attacks to try to lure me into clicking on something or get into some economic arrangement or, or whatever, but it's geared to uh, a business owner audience. Other emails don't have that. So some of the biggest things you can do is make sure all of your computing devices are always patched, always up to date. A lot of exploitation out there can be prevented simply by making sure not just Windows or uh, Mac, your Mac is up to date, but all of the other applications. You know, if you use Firefox, uh, Java, Adobe Flash, so on and so forth. So making sure all the applications, uh, not just the core operating system, is up to date. Uh, going into email, being aware that people are always trying to deceive you in email uh, maybe impersonating a friend or a business partner to trick you into getting, uh, giving up your financial information or usernames and passwords. The last thing to keep in mind is the people that work for you. Your employees 
have privileged access to your company and your information. They know where the secrets are hidden. They know where the valuable information there is. Uh, and making sure that you're protected against them uh, if you have a disgruntled employee. I mean, everybody wants to say, I want highly motivated employees, and sometimes things don't work out. Uh, just this past week, uh, there was a story of a disgruntled employee uh, in Europe. You know, he was fired for you know, misconduct or whatever. They didn't disable his access, so he logged back in and basically erased all the computing infrastructure and data and databases and caused an immense amount of damage. Now, that person's going to go to jail and do some time, but that doesn't really make the business whole for the damage, right? Your former employee is going to go to jail, you know, but your website's down. Your billing records are gone. Maybe money is out the door. You've incurred real losses. It surprises me that, you know, a number of companies don't take uh, some basic steps when you let somebody go. And, and the first is removing all of their access and making sure that they still don't have access to property. I want to say as a year and a half ago, uh, there was a car dealership, let somebody go who wasn't uh, performing the way they wanted to. Uh, she had access to a system that allowed her to remotely disable cars. Uh, the system existed so that if people were making their car payments, they could disable the engine so you can't use it. Well, she logged into that system and then whether or not people were making car payments, she disabled cars as a way of payback. So being mindful that those kind of uh, that kind of access needs to be deleted when when you let somebody go, uh, you know, but always good business advice is, you know, make sure, you know, as best you can hire good people if they're in positions of trust or authority, uh, do background checks and credit checks uh, if things aren't working out. Uh, making sure that access is revoked and you're taking proactive steps to make sure that they can't do harm to you once they leave. Moving on to the next question. Sue asked, as a Verizon customer, I've been reading uh, articles online that Verizon's planning to spy on customers. Uh, is that something that I uh, or Verizon customers should take seriously? This is around basically uh, if you have Verizon Wireless and an Android phone, uh, they have a search app that they place on the phone. Uh, that they say will give you quicker access to search and applications. The thing to keep in mind is that there is an immense marketplace out there for getting detailed information about consumers for the purposes of selling them stuff. A lot of people want to talk about Edward Snowden and the NSA and all the intelligence agencies spying, and, and a lot of it is controversial and it's worth discussing. But if you're using Google and you're using Facebook or you're using this application from Verizon, the deal is they're giving you something for free so that they can get the information gleaned and create marketing profiles and sell you something, right? If you've got a Gmail account, Google is mining that information to figure what products would you like to buy, and they're selling advertisers access to you based on that so that people can make money, right? If you're not paying for the service, you're not the customer, you're the product being sold. So there is an immense marketplace of information out there and a lot of steps that you need to be aware of. And there's a lot of steps you need to be taking to ensure that you're protecting your privacy. If you're okay with Google mining you and giving you targeted ads when you visit web pages and that, that's an arrangement you're okay with, hey, you know, free country, so be it. If you're not okay with that, then you need to think about using a different email provider, being mindful of what you put into Gmail, being mindful what you put into Google search or, or Verizon search. And I should point out last thing is that search records, what you search for has always been immensely useful for me and for many other uh, people who do investigations to figure out who the criminals are, what are they looking for in establishing intent. 
a lot of this stuff creates records that persist, that exist for a long time. And I'm sure in a future show we could talk in great detail about privacy and all the information that's kept about you. But be aware is, is by using it, you're accepting the terms, and those terms are involving them data mining you to sell you information. So if there's any takeaway, as always, read the terms of service and the end user licensing agreement. You know, the thing that says, have you read this? Click OK. And everybody clicks OK. You know, take a look at that if you're concerned about privacy to see how organizations are going to use your information. We're going to take a short break right here. Next up, we're going to be talking to Bill Gertz, talking about North Korea, how serious of a threat they are, uh, and some things that uh, that nation state may be attempting to do to us uh, and our security here in the United States. So stay tuned. More great content coming up. This is Cybersecurity Today Radio. I'm your host, John Bamanek, and be back soon. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Listening to John Bambanek, the most trusted name in cybersecurity. Welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio. I am your host, John Bambanek. I spent the last segment talking a little bit about uh, what you can do to protect your cybersecurity uh, and taking some of your questions. Going to change gears a little bit. We have an interview here with Bill Gertz. Uh, We're joined, who is the author of IWAR. Uh, a new book on war and peace in the information age. And he's going to talk to us about uh, what North Korea is up to. Uh, Welcome to the show. Hi, good to be on the program. Thanks. So uh, at a security conference, I've actually made reference to this conference a couple of times already this week in the Caribbean. Uh, There's a lot of conversation about uh, North Korean cyber attacks on casinos and uh, banks throughout the world, about 18 different countries that are affected Probably the biggest heist was against the Bangladesh Central Bank uh, of 80 million, I believe. So how serious uh, is this threat of North Korea that we're facing? Uh, It's very serious. The North Koreans are uh, uh, an emerging cyber uh, threat. Uh, They're not as sophisticated as the Russians and Chinese, but they're growing in capability. Um, uh, In my book, I wore I recount an interview with a North Korean defector who actually trained North Korean cyber uh, espionage and cyber warfare Hmm. uh, specialists. And he said that these are very sophisticated, despite uh, North Korea's reputation as being somewhat backward technologically, uh, they do have a good capability. And as these recent, as the Sony pictures hack showed a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now more recently, these banking hacks, um, I recently spoke with a uh, senior national security agency official, Rick Leggett, uh, and he said that he, he revealed that this was the first time a state has been linked to 
uh, a major criminal cyber hacking uh, operation uh, through Bangladesh and a number mm -hmm. of other banks. And they were after $950 million. Uh, uh, the Federal Reserve was able to cut, up, cut them off before they could get all of that money, but they did succeed in getting anywhere between 80 and, and $100 million in, in that cyber theft. Well, that's that's not quite a bad payday for for a good uh, good few days of work. So uh, you know, like I said, that's certainly alarming. I think uh, some of that has to do with North Korea, right? You know, the U.S. could steal a bunch of money, but we're the richest country on earth. The question becomes, why would our government do that? Uh, certainly, North Korea has financial difficulties. Most of our treaties and agreements on foreign policy stuff usually involve some monetary component. So looking at this, looking at some of the news, what, you know, what can we do to uh, pre prevent against further attacks? Or I should say, what can governments do to protect against attacks? What should they be doing uh, about this threat? Well, as, as a journalist and author, my, my solution is we've got to get more information out into the public. Uh, the problem with the cyber uh, threat information is it's closely held by the government. They, uh, the intelligence community, the Department of Homeland Security... They have the facts on this. A lot of the private cybersecurity companies are doing a good job in publicizing the kinds of threats that are out there, like the North Korean threat, like the Chinese, Russian, and Iranian cyber threat. But it's the government that really has the best understanding and the best information about uh, cyber threats. And I think that they need to do a better job of educating the public uh, to these. Uh, otherwise, uh, this hacking is going to get worse before, uh, before uh, we can take steps to, to cut, cut them off. They always, uh, you, you set up defenses and they go around them. And there's talk in Washington these mm -hmm, days mm -hmm. of doing uh, cyber deterrence, really creating situations where we go on the offense and, and, and make these attackers pay a price for their cyber attacks. Yeah, well, again, it segues into the next question. I mean, we, we did a little bit of that with the Russian sanctions over uh, the election-related hacking of the DNC and John Podesta and so forth. We applied sanctions. Do you think that's really a viable strategy? Is that going to work, or, or are we talking about actually hacking their stuff and creating, in essence, a proportional amount of damage to their information systems? Uh, really, the uh, under the Obama administration, there was no response, literally no response. There were symbolic sanctions on some Russian officials and uh, some North Korean officials after the Sony hack. And, and last December, they expelled 35 Russian diplomats. Mm -hmm. And Moscow didn't even respond. They didn't even do a uh, corresponding uh, expulsion of American diplomats and spies in Russia. So Obviously, they, they aren't concerned about it. Um, the director of the National Security Agency, uh, Admiral Mike Rogers, has mm -hmm. testified before Congress that the problem it, with uh, sanctions and not uh, setting up this deterrent factor is that the cost of entry for these foreign governments is, is very low. There's no penalty to pay. Um, he's a strong, <clears throat> a strong advocate of taking uh, offensive counterattacking mm -hmm. actions, for example, going into some of these foreign uh, hacker networks and damaging their networks or stealing the information back or perhaps providing them disinformation that could mm -hmm. uh, do damage to them. So those are the kinds of things that we need to do. 
Well, I think that's 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 a lot of excellent thoughts there. Um, we need to wrap up on this now. We've been talking to Bill Gertz. He's an author of iWar, War and Peace in the Information Age. You can find it at Amazon uh, or at your favorite bookstore. Thank you for joining us today, Bill. Thank you. One other quick topic I wanted to bring up. We have some late-breaking news. Thursday evening, President Trump launched military strikes against Syria in response to gas attacks that happened Tuesday last week. So in about 48 hours, we launched military strikes in Syria. Uh, there is some cybersecurity implications to this uh, and some history that I, th I think is interesting anyway. Uh, several years ago, when President Obama started uh, injecting our military and uh, foreign policy into Syria and some of the revolutions going on, there was an emergence of a group called the Syrian Electronic Army. Their hallmark was hacking social media accounts of media companies uh, to get attention to their cause as, as a form of protest. So often we see in big geopolitical events that there are groups uh, we call them hacktivism, right, uh, the amalgamation of hacking and activism, where they try to deface websites, hack social media accounts as a form of protest to get some visibility to their cause. So I would certainly expect here in the coming uh, days and weeks we might see the resurgence of groups like the Syrian Electronic Army. Uh, that individual was a minor out of Turkey, uh, since been arrested, uh, but certainly other people are capable of this. So whenever we see events like this, that might be an interesting thing to look for is how uh, hacking and cybersecurity are being used as part of large global incidents that are going on. We see that very often in Eastern Europe, uh, occasionally in Asia. Uh, I think we'll see that here in the United States here in the coming uh, days and weeks. You know, for you, your family, uh, your friends protecting yourself is just be aware that, you know, some emails there purporting to be footage out of Syria or whatever may not be entirely legitimate. If you want to see content uh, and videos, go to YouTube to look at it directly and do searches. Uh, be wary of what people send you an email because that is how these attackers get into social media accounts and hijack those accounts. So be on the lookout for that. As you can see, a lot of what we've talked about on this program, uh, through several of the episodes, we talked about the Russian election-related hacking. We talked earlier this episode about Chinese espionage on our trade, uh, our trade policy organizations. Uh, just talked a little bit about North Korea. A lot of other nations are getting out there being more aggressive in terms of hacking and espionage and stealing information. Uh, some of that affects us. Uh, some of it doesn't. But it's all interesting developments of this emerging uh, field that we find ourselves in. Uh, certainly, there's always growing development in criminal threats. We'll get back to talking about that in future episodes also. So certainly, a lot of news worth talking about. Hopefully, uh, we've given you some great information, uh, some understanding of what the uh, situation is behind some of the headlines. Again, if you'd like to hear more, uh, see more content that we're putting up online, you can visit our website at cybersecuritytodayradio.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cybersecradio. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at cybersecradio and at Bambanek for my personal Twitter handle and at email at johnbambanekradio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K radio at gmail.com. 
So again, this is Cybersecurity Today Radio coming to you from AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in next week. We'll have more great content giving you information and how you can protect yourself, your businesses, your family uh, from cybersecurity threats that you face. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your weekend.